Uh, if you turn to page 7 in your worship folder, you'll find the scripture upon which our sermon is based this morning. How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is he, oh, excuse me, the two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Friends, this is the word of God. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your promises that are new every morning and are sure. We thank you that you promise that whatever we need this morning, you will provide for us. We thank you that you gift us with your word, with your truth, with your grace. We thank you that, most importantly, you gift us with your very self. And so as we listen and respond to your word, we ask that you would give us indeed your presence this morning, all that we need and more. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors over at Grace Church of Marin. It's across the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. Uh, my friend Mike joined me this morning, and we're very, very glad to be here and to be worshiping with you guys in San Francisco. I'm uh, a member of Presbytery, which is the regional uh, uh, group of pastors and leaders in the area for this particular denomination. And so because Christopher is on a sabbatical, which is a fancy name for a vacation, pastors feel like we need fancy names for things because we're special. So he gets to go on sabbatical. You just go on vacation. Um, now, sabbatical is actually a time for rest and rejuvenation and study and vision and focus. And so uh, we're so glad that you guys are affording Christopher that opportunity 
to go and rest. And it's my privilege to be with you, uh, not just for the next three Sundays, although I will be here with you for the next three Sundays, uh, but also I'll be around. And so if there are pastoral needs that you have that arise and Christopher's not here, please let me know. McLaren has my contact information. I'll make sure to get that to you. I'm going to try and come over maybe once or twice in the next uh, month or so and have some coffee and set up some informal office hours. And I'd love to sit down and hear how things are going for you in life uh, and with the church, and we can connect that way. So I'm very glad to be here. I get three weeks in a row with you, and so I thought um, I'd just choose some passages that we've been reflecting on at Grace Church of Marin lately during the Eastertide season. Uh, Easter is that great Christian celebration when we get together and we celebrate the fact that Jesus, God who has come down into our lives and into our history, who died the death that we deserve to die, has been raised from the grave and has ascended and is reigning with God. All that to say, Jesus is alive. That's what we believe. That's why we're here and worshiping. If you're visiting, uh, if you're checking out Christianity, I want you to know that's why this church exists, because it believes, as God's word says, that Jesus is alive and he's reigning. And so the question is, if he's reigning, what is he doing? If he's alive, if he's out there, if he's a part of our lives and a part of our world and he's king, then what is he doing? What's he doing in your life? What's he doing in your congregation? What's he doing in this city? Well, uh, in John's gospel, uh, we see Jesus in his earthly ministry showing us a lot of the things that he's doing even now. And it begins in this passage, sort of his first act as, a, as an adult in ministry is he invites. Jesus invites. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever ask yourself the question, what am I doing here? Right? And maybe that's the question you ask on the meta level, right? What am I doing here? Why do I exist? That's not what I'm talking about. Do you ever ask yourself the question, as you're sitting here or at another congregation, what am I doing here? Uh, some of you might have the answer, well, I'm on vacation and my parents dragged me to church, and that's why I'm here. Right? Some of you uh, may have a similar uh, reason. I have a friend who invited me, and so I'm here. Some of you uh, may say that, well, I've grown up as a Christian in the church, and so when I moved to San Francisco, I wanted to find a place that worshiped, and so I'm here. Did you ever ask yourself the question, what am I doing here? In the Whitcomb Hotel here in San Francisco on a Sunday morning. There's all sorts of answers to that question. But the foundational answer behind every single answer that you might give is this. You've been invited. You've been invited. Maybe a friend invited you, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. You've invite, been invited by Jesus himself, by the King of Kings, by God who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. He invited you first. You're here because you've responded. Um, my wife, Kathy, loves, loves parties. Any party, it doesn't matter. If you give her an invitation, she is going to be there, right? If you are having an event and you need to make sure that you fill the seats, invite my wife. If you are looking for a friend and you need to feel good about yourself, invite my wife to coffee. Because if you invite her, she is going to show up. I like to think of myself as a little more discerning when it comes to invitations. I want to know what I'm being invited into. Do you? Are you like my wife? Are you like more like me? I think a very good question to ask 
when you receive an invitation is, into what am I being invited? Because it makes a big difference, doesn't it? I get an invitation in the mail. It's a postcard. And it's for a dental cleaning. Not my favorite invitation, right? But if I got an invitation in the mail from my friend Mike and he said, I've got two front row tickets to game four at the Oracle to see the Warriors play. Actually, game four will be in Cleveland. But you know what I mean. That's an invitation of a different kind. That's an invitation that I'm going to respond to in a very different way, right? It makes a difference what the invitation is. Into what are we being invited? And that's a great question to ask ourselves this morning. As we listen for the invitation of Jesus, ask yourself the question, into what is he inviting me? And John gives us some good clues in this passage. We see it uh, throughout. As these first disciples, followers of Jesus, friends of Jesus, respond to him, they claim certain titles for Jesus. Did you notice this? That some of them say, we found the Messiah. Right? And Nathaniel, when he's finally convinced, Nathaniel says, surely you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Nathaniel isn't just talking about son of God and that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. They weren't quite that far along in their thinking of who Jesus was at the time. Son of God was a title in the same way that Messiah was a title, in the same way that the king of Israel is a title. It's a title for the one who would come and usher in God's kingdom. Right, so the first thing we see in this passage is that when Jesus invites, he invites us into his kingdom. It's very important uh, to understand what he's talking about. Here's another question for you. Why did you move to San Francisco? Those of you who are in town living here. Now, most of you are here and you've moved from somewhere else. Why did you move to San Francisco? I know you have all sorts of answers to that question. Probably involves work or a relationship. Right? But most people move to San Francisco because this is a place where people understand that there's a need for the world to be better than it is. Right? Does that make sense? San Francisco is always a place where people are looking out for issues of justice and issues of equality and issues of the environment. And how can we make this life that we live, this world in which we live, a better place? That's, that is a question that is very much on the hearts of San Franciscans. Am I right? I, I'm assuming so. It's very much true in Marin County. Right? Those are actually kingdom kinds of concerns. And so what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm inviting you into God's kingdom. So he's saying, I'm inviting you into the world as it exists under the loving and gracious and peaceable rule of the God who made you, the God who has redeemed you, and the God who desires to spend eternity with you. That's what you're being invited into. We certainly don't have enough time this morning to go into all the detail of what kingdom looks like, what life under the rule and reign of God himself looks like, but we can sort of shorthand it in this way. It's life as you long for it to be. In all facets of life, things that are as they ought to be. Uh, Samwise Ganji and the Lord of the Rings put it this way. Uh, is it, when will it be that everything sad will come untrue? That's a kingdom kind of question. Our lives, our world, existence in which everything's sad, everything that's wrong that we know deep down is wrong with the way things are, will come untrue. 
What would it look like? What would it feel like to live as a person, as a human being, with wholeness, with emotional and psychological wellness, completely, fully, no doubt, no guilt, no shame, no sadness, no depression? That's kingdom. Right? What would it look like, feel like, to live in relationships as they're meant to be, true and full and fully restored? without bickering and envy and competition and hurting one another. That's kingdom. What would it look like, the San Francisco question, to live in a society in which all have their share, all have enough, in which surviving isn't the the law of the land, but thriving is for everyone? That's a kingdom question. What would it look like to live in a physical world that is as it ought to be, the way its maker intended it to be? That's a kingdom question. And behind and around and underneath all those questions is a central question. What would it be like to live in a relationship with God himself that is whole and full and right and restored? and marked by the mutual delight and joy that the Father has with the Son with the Holy Spirit instead of the guilt and the shame that we bring to the table in our relationship with God. That's a kingdom question as well. And so when Jesus invites you, come follow me, he's inviting you into his kingdom. He's the king and he has come and he has begun this kingdom world and it's not complete yet. He'll come again. Sin still exists in the world. We're in an in-between phase, and yet it has started. And we can experience that if we receive the invitation. So into what are we being invited? Kingdom, Jesus says here in John's gospel. Uh, But more importantly than kingdom, actually, we're being invited into the very presence of Jesus himself. Not, Not only does God offer all the benefits of life with God in his kingdom. God actually offers so much more. He offers life with him. And this is what the Bible, the scriptures of the Christian faith teach, that from the very beginning, the whole point was existence with God. And when we as human beings moved away from that offer, God's offer to live with him, in relationship with him, and we said, you know what, God? That's not enough. I actually don't want to just be with you. I want to be you. I want to be my own authority. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. I'll take what you have to give me, but I don't need you. That, in essence, was the original sin of our first parents. If you go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll read about it. And from there, everything went wrong. And the story of the Bible, friends, is a story of a God who longs so much to be with you, to invite you into his presence, That he has chased us down across time and space and history, finally in the person of Jesus, to restore relationship. Not just the good things that God wants for you, but God himself, the good thing, with a capital T. There's a fantastic photo. It's one of my favorite photos that I've ever seen. It's a picture of John F. Kennedy Jr. in the Oval Office. Has anyone seen this picture? And John F. Kennedy is at his desk and he's working. 
And John F. Kennedy Jr. is probably four or five or six. And he's under the desk at his father's feet. And I love that picture. Right? Because there are so many people in this world who want access into the Oval Office because they need something from the president. Right? They need what he can offer. But John F. Kennedy Jr. didn't need what his dad, the president, had to offer. He just wanted to be with his dad. And do you know what? He could. And that's a picture of what Jesus is inviting us into when he says, come and follow me. Not just the good things of the kingdom, but the king himself, Jesus himself. Now, here's where John 1 gets a little bit interesting. Where do we today, now, here in San Francisco, find kingdom and Jesus? Where do you go if you want to receive Jesus' invitation to come and experience his kingdom life and his very presence? Where do you go? Well, John tells us, you go to church. You go to church. If you want to find Jesus, if you want to experience life as God intends it for you now, you go to a gathering of Jesus' people. That's what's happening in this passage. If you look at all the commentaries, all the different scholars who talk about this passage, what they talk about most is this is where the church began. Jesus came and he called Andrew and John to himself. And when he did, you had the church. And then Andrew and John went and they started inviting their brothers and their friends. And that little tiny church grew and it grew and it grew. And it grew, and now, billions strong across the world and throughout time, God's people gathered. That's where you go if you want to experience Jesus' invitation of kingdom and of the presence of God himself. You go to church. It almost sounds too insane to be true, doesn't it? You're living in San Francisco, and here you are sitting in a conference room at the Whitcomb Hotel, and this pastor from Marin County is telling you that this is where you're going to experience Jesus. This is where you're going to experience the fullness of life on this earth. I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling you that through John. If you want him, you find him where he tells you you can find him. And you find him in his church, his body. When Jesus finished his earthly ministry after his death and his resurrection, he told his disciples, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And do you know what I'm going to leave behind? My spirit inhabiting my church, my body. Think about it. Jesus didn't leave behind a new scripture, a new Bible. He didn't leave behind a new religious manifesto. He didn't leave behind a new moral program of how to live your best life now. What did he leave behind? His people. So that the world could come into this gathering and find Jesus. So into what are you being invited? Kingdom. Presence of Jesus. And as insane as it might sound to you, you find that through the church. Uh, quick little implication. Uh, some of us who have grown up in the church 
are very good at receiving church and doing church things uh, and replacing Jesus with church. Acting as if going to the right Bible study, showing up and doing the right kind of volunteer work at a startup church, which is very important, by the way. Don't hear me say, don't volunteer. I'm not saying that. Please volunteer. But that is not the center of what you're being invited into. You participate in the life of the community because that's where you find Jesus. And so if you find yourself doing all the sorts of church things, but you're not experiencing a relationship with Jesus, you're missing out. You're getting it wrong. You're impoverishing yourself. Don't settle for just church. Now, many more of us probably in the Bay Area, in the West now, in the 21st century, have the other problem. We're good with Jesus, right? I'm down with Jesus. We can spend lots of time together, me and Jesus. I'm all fine with that. It's Jesus' people that I have a little bit of problem with. Okay? And let me be the first to say, I understand. I do. I understand that Jesus' people don't always treat you the way that Jesus commands us to treat one another. I understand that the church might be a place where you went to for safe haven and you found it to be a place that battered you on the rocks of life in the same way that you experienced outside the church. I understand that. And I genuinely, genuinely apologize for that. It happens. I get it. And yet, this is what Jesus has given us. He's given us one another. And he said, if you want to experience me, you're going to do it with my people. And he said, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. And so friends, if you're good with Jesus, you've got to learn to find a way to be good with his church. Something you can work out together here at First Press San Francisco. We work it out in all sorts of ways at Grace Church of Marin. I'd be happy to talk to you more afterwards. But would you receive the challenge this morning? If you want to receive the invitation, come and participate in a church. This church or any church that preaches the gospel, come and participate. So that's the first question and answer. And to what are we being invited? Uh, the second question is, why should I receive this invitation? Why should I receive this invitation? Well, I hope that a little taste of kingdom life is compelling. I hope the idea of an intimate, personal accessible relationship with the God who made you and the God who loved you so much that he's redeemed you at the cost of his very own life is compelling to you. But if you need another reason why, Jesus gives you one. Amazing. When Andrew, and most likely John, it's Andrew and we're not told who the other first disciple that receives Jesus' invitation is, uh, but it's probably the author John, and he's displaying a little modesty here. But when Andrew and John come to Jesus... He asked them an interesting question. Did you catch that? They come to him and he says, what do you want? What do you want? Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus is the king of the cosmos. He could come and he could tell them, here's what I want from you. And I'm conscripting you into my service now. But that's not what he does. He comes to the disciples and he says, what do you want? What is your desire? And he, he is talking about the meta question now. 
Right? We can ask ourselves the question, what do you want all the time? And it can mean all sorts of different things, right? What do you want? Uh, I want some lunch, okay? But what do you really want? Uh, well, I need a break from work. What do you really want? I want rest. Now we're getting somewhere, right? What do you want? I want some lunch. Well, what do you really want? I want some fuel. But what do you really want? I want some fuel so I can kill it in my presentation. But what do you really want? I want the acclaim of my peers. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. What do you really want? I want power in my career. Right? What do you want? I want some lunch. What do you really want? I want some lunch with her. What do you really want? I want to date her. What do you really want? I want to marry her. What do you really want? I want somebody who will see me and validate me. Now we're getting somewhere. You see, we all have deep foundational desires. And Jesus is asking the question, what do you want? Really want? At the center of who you are, what are you longing for? And he's asking the question because he knows the answer, friends. And the answer is, whatever you think you most deeply want, what you really want is him. What you really want can only be found in him because it's what you were made for. St. Augustine famously put it this way, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so Jesus is graciously asking the question, what do you want? Because he knows you'll find the answer with him. The answer of the disciples is really fascinating. Did you catch that? Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, where do you live? Come again. What do you want? Where do you live? I think what they're getting at is, where are you staying, Jesus? Because wherever you are, that's where we're going to be because we want you. We need you. Jesus isn't saying, don't desire. He's saying, desire the right thing. And if you come to me, I'll give it to you. I love it. Peter, we know a lot about Peter because... Well, he tells us, and others tell us, in the rest of the Gospels. And Peter makes all sorts of boneheaded moves, and yet he ends up being the foundational disciple, the rock upon which the church of Jesus is built. And Jesus here, in this passage, Peter comes to him, and Jesus gives him this gift of what Peter wants, a purpose in life, and a place to be significant. Jesus gives it to him. Isn't that beautiful? Right, Nathaniel comes to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he sees him, and he says, you're an Israelite in whom there is no guile. You're a stand-up guy. I don't know for sure that that's one of Nathaniel's deepest desires, to be recognized as a person of worth and value, and yet Jesus gives him that gift. Why? Because whatever it is that you most deeply need and desire, you'll find it in Jesus. And so, friends, why should you? Receive his invitation because he loves you, because he wants your best, and because you can only find your best in him. Come to Jesus and ask the question, can you give me what I want? He's not afraid of the question. Friends, Jesus is inviting you this morning. How do I know? Because you're sitting here. 
The invitation has already begun. Right? We read in this passage that these disciples say, we found the Messiah, but actually the Messiah found them. He has found you. And He's inviting you right now because you're hearing these words. And so my invitation to you is receive the invitation. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the 500 and first time. But would you consider this morning receiving Jesus' invitation into His kingdom, into His very presence, through His church? Maybe this is the first time for you. Or maybe it's not, but you've been burned by the church. Would you consider this morning sticking around this community, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, and putting Jesus to the test? Can I find you here, Jesus, in this church with these people? His promise is that you will. There are Bible studies. Peter can get you involved. I'm sure McLaren can get you involved in some Bible studies. Keep coming to Sunday worship. Show up and serve. Whether you believe or not, show up and serve. They'll give you a job to do and stick around and see what happens and see if Jesus shows up and makes good on his promise here at this church. Would you receive his invitation? Here's the really fun thing. If you do, there's more. If you do receive his invitation, he's going to put you to work. You see, the second half of the question we've been asking in Grace Church of Marin this past Easter season is, how does Jesus work? Right? What is Jesus doing and how is he doing it? And part of the answer to how Jesus is present and actively working in our lives is through his people. If you receive his invitation and unite yourself to him, he is going to work through you. His invitation comes to you, and then it goes out from you to those around you. Right? You are going to become the conduit for Jesus' invitation to the world to come and find their life in Him. So, one last question to ask then, if Jesus is going to use us to extend His invitation, what does that look like? How does He invite? Because some of you right now are beginning to freak out a little bit. Your blood is running a little bit warmer because you're wondering, is this pastor going to start talking about evangelism? Is that where we're going here? Is he going to start talking about what it means to tell my neighbors about this church, to talk about Christianity with people that don't know? Some of you, I know, love evangelism in here. I've heard your stories. And some of us, it's a four-letter word. Like, how in this city are we supposed to talk in a winsome and welcoming way about Jesus? Well, how did Jesus do it? It's a good question, by the way. It's a good question. How did Jesus do it in this passage? All right, well, let's look at it for just a minute. Jesus invites simply. Do you notice that? This is a very simple passage. He's talking to friends, and they talk to their friends about something that's important to them. And that's it. Did you notice that there's no evangelism program going on in John chapter 1? Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, we've got to get all our buddies together and we've got to get a plan and we've got to get a meeting space and we've got to get good speakers. Right? We've got to make sure the music is strong. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm just saying that's not what's happening here. It's very simply done. 
John the Baptist is preaching to some of his buddies and Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, hey, there's a guy I'm talking about. Go talk to him. And those two guys go talk to Jesus and they find what they're looking for. And he's so compelling that they say, I got to tell my brother Peter. I got to tell my buddy Philip. Right. Jesus goes to Philip and Philip says, whoa, Messiah. I got to tell Nathaniel. He's not going to believe this. That's it. That's what's happening. Very simply done. Uh, it's not just simple. It's genuine. Did you notice in verses 38 and verse 47 that Jesus looks at them? He sees them. Right? These people aren't projects for Jesus. Jesus sees them as people and he loves them. And so he extends the invitation that will bring them life. Don't let anybody make you feel like Talking to somebody else about Jesus is treating them like a project. It's possible to do that, I'm sure. But that's not what's happening here. Jesus sees people as people. He sees their deep need. He knows their individual need. That's another thing about this passage. It's very individual. Did you catch that? Nathaniel has some very theological questions. And so Jesus handles them with some deep theology. And that's not enough for Nathaniel. And so Jesus convicts and confronts Nathaniel when he needs to be, because he knows Nathaniel. Or what does it mean to extend the invitation of Jesus to somebody else? It depends on who the friend is that you're talking to. They might need some heavy theology. They might need a swift kick in the pants. They might need a huge hug. They might need a listening ear. I don't know. You won't know until you're in that room with them face to face. Because it's very individual. It's genuine. It's personal. And finally, it's compelling. I think this is my favorite part of this passage. We don't know what happens when Jesus engages these people. We just know that they follow him. Like immediately, done. They leave their jobs and they go with him. Why? Because they found who they were looking for. They found him. And if you found him, the way to invite somebody else is to simply do what you would naturally do when you find something awesome in your life, which is what? Tell people about it, right? Have you eaten at such and such place? Have you caught such and such show, right? Did you know there's an opening at such and such company? It's amazing, you should work there. When you find something compelling in your life, you share it. If Jesus has been compelling in your life, you will share him. It's the only thing to do. But what if somebody asks me a question and I don't know what to tell them? I've only been following Jesus for a couple months now. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I'm experiencing something. What do I do if somebody asks me something and I don't know the answer? What do I do if I don't know the answer? Well, all Jesus did was say, come and see. All Philip did was say, come and see. You can just say, come and see. Come to church with me and see. And let me leave you with this. This is for those who are members and friends of First Press San Francisco. The call for you, the challenge that Jesus is presenting to you, having received the grace of his very presence in his kingdom and the privilege of extending his invitation, the challenge is this. Are you a congregation in which somebody will come into and say, this is Jesus? Are you the kind of congregation, not getting it perfectly, 
but with humility and repentance and faith and love, are you the kind of congregation that a friend will come into and say, yes, fullness, life, Jesus? Friends, his invitation is to you even now. And we're privileged that the invitation might even be through us as well. Would you pray with me? Jesus, there are some in this room who are not sure that you truly are the answer to our deepest longings. And I just pray that you would give us the courage to keep looking and keep asking the question, are you? Now, Jesus, there are some in this room who are not experiencing the fullness of your kingdom life. And I pray that you would meet them there with your love and your grace and your very presence. Father, there are some in this room who are with humility and with great joy committed to being a mouthpiece for you in word and deed here in San Francisco. And so I pray that you would strengthen First Press San Francisco for that task. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, we have the opportunity now to respond to the good gifts that Jesus has given us in his word by participating uh, in his family meal. Uh, The Lord's Supper is a family meal of Christians, and so if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you're a baptized member of this or any church that preaches the gospel, then this meal is for you. Uh, If that's not you, if you're still figuring out uh, where you stand with Jesus, then let me invite you to be uh, true to where you are in your spiritual journey. And please uh, abstain from the meal. But there are prayers that uh, you can pray. Simply ask Jesus to uh, reveal himself to you for who he is. Uh, He promises that he'll do that. You're welcome to come forward and receive a blessing from me. Uh, That uh, includes children who have not yet uh, been admitted to the Lord's table. Participate in the way that's most authentic to where you are in your spiritual journey. Uh, Let me offer a prayer and then the words of institution and then uh, we'll confess our faith in the Nicene Creed together. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, uh, it's good and right to give you thanks for all your many blessings, uh, most of all for your very presence with us this morning. And so uh, we want to take a moment to do just that, to say thank you. And we ask that by your word and spirit, this bread and this wine would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that it would nourish us, that it would strengthen us, that it would uh, encourage us, and that it would um, give us all that we need to go out from this room with your invitation. We'll give you all the glory, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you take it, do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine and he said, This wine is uh, the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we can proclaim the mystery of the faith together. This might not be your tradition, but I'm going to invite you to join me. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come and receive them with gladness. Uh, We're going to recite the Nicene Creed together, not by memory. It's printed for you. Uh, This isn't a test in your worship folder. And then following the Nicene Creed, I'd invite you to come forward uh, and you can come and take the wine. It's the darker beverage on the outside 
or grape juice in the back and take a cracker and then take it back to your seat and wait and then we'll participate all together. So let me invite you to join me in the Nicene Creed. Would you stand with me as you're able? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who with for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.